All attention focused on a towering birthday cake being wheeled out from inside. The child's nanny, Chessa, was dressed as a clown, her face whitened with powder and painted with a garish red smile. As the photographers danced about her, she delighted in the attention, hugging, kissing, smearing her makeup onto the child. Can he blow them out? They shouted. Let him take a try. Jennings' eyes travelled slowly through the crowds, and he spotted the face of the First Lady, Cathy Thorne, standing at a distance, a vague hint of disapproval playing about her mouth. For a split second, her mask was down, and Jennings instinctively reached for his camera, clicking off a shot. At the birthday cake, a howl of applause and approval went up, Cathy slowly moving forward. Tell his fortune, shouted a reporter. Take him to the fortune teller. And as a body, the crowd began to move, bearing the nanny and her adored child across the lawn. I'll take him said Cathy, reaching toward them as they passed. I can do it, Mum, replied the nanny brightly. I'll do it, smiled Cathy. And in the single moment of their eyes meeting, the nanny relinquished the child. It was a moment unnoticed by all, the momentum and noise carrying them forward, but Jennings was watching it through his viewfinder. As the crowd moved on, the nanny was left standing alone the towering house framed behind her, the clown costume somehow accentuating her feeling of desertion. At the fortune teller's tent, Cathy admonished reporters to stay outside, then entered, breathing a sigh of relief at the sudden quiet and darkened atmosphere. Hello, little boy. The words came from beneath a hood, an apparition seated behind a small green table, her voice strained to sound witch-like, her face made up in green. As Damien gazed down, he stiffened, climbing fast to his mother's shoulder. Come on, Damien, laughed Cathy. This is a nice witch. Aren't you a nice witch? Of course, laughed the fortune teller. I won't hurt you. She's going to tell your fortune, coaxed Cathy. Come on, gestured the fortune teller. Hold out your hand. But Damien would not, clinging tightly to his mother. The fortune teller lifted her rubber mask. Look, I'm just a person. This won't hurt a bit. Relaxing, Damien held out his hand, Cathy sitting with him across the card-strewn table. Oh, what a nice soft hand. This is going to be a good, good fortune. But she paused, gazing at the hand with confusion. Oh, I've never seen this before, she said. Seen what? Look. No personality lines. All he's got is creases. Look at your own hand. Look at all the tracing. It, it's different with each person. These are marks of our identity. There passed an uncomfortable silence, the child himself gazing at his hands, wondering what was wrong. Look how smooth his fingertips are. I don't think he has any prints. Cathy looked closely. She realised it was true. Well, laughed the girl, if he robs a bank, they won't catch him. And then she laughed harder, Cathy gazing at the small hands in puzzled silence. Could you tell his fortune, please? Cathy's voice was uneasy. That's what we came in for. Of course. But as the young girl reached for the child's hands, they were interrupted by a voice from outside. 
It was Chessa, the nanny, and she was shouting from a distance. Damien! Damien! she cried. Come out! I've got a surprise for you! The fortune teller paused, sensing, as Cathy did, a certain desperation in the cry. Damien, come out and see what I'll do for you! Exiting the tent with Damien in her arms, Cathy paused, gazing upward toward the house. There, poised on the roof, was Chessa, a heavy rope in her hand, cheerfully stretching it upward to show it was wound around her neck. Beneath her, the crowds began to turn, smiling in confused anticipation as the small clown moved forward to the edge and held her hands out as if readying for a high dive into a pool of water. Look here, Damien, she shouted. It's all for you. And in a single movement, she stepped off the roof, her body plummeting downward, snapped back up by the rope, then hanging limp, silent, dead. On the lawn, they stood in stunned silence, the small body swinging gently to the accompaniment of a carousel waltz. The following morning, Cathy attended Chessa's funeral, taking Damien with her. It was a private affair conducted in a small cemetery on the outskirts of town, attended only by the girl's family, Cathy and Damien, and a balding priest who read from the scriptures while holding a folded newspaper over his head to ward off the persistent drizzle of rain. Fearing the publicity that would surround their presence, Thorne had refused to go, entreating Cathy to do the same, but her need was plain. She had loved the girl and needed to put her to rest. Outside the cemetery, a group of reporters milled about, prevented from entering by two United States Marines, dispatched at the last minute by Thorne from his staff at the embassy. Unseen among them was Haber Jennings, in black raincoat and heavy boots, positioned in the far trees, scrutinising the proceedings through a long-distance lens. With careful precision, his telescopic view wandered from face to face, the family weeping, Cathy in a state of shock, the child beside her restless, his eyes roaming the bleak terrain. It was the child that captured Jennings' interest, and he waited patiently for precisely the right moment to snap his shutter. It came in an instant, a flickering of the eyes and a sudden change of expression, as though the boy had been suddenly frightened, then, just as suddenly, soothed. With his eyes riveted to a point far across the cemetery, his small body relaxed, somehow warmed in the midst of the cold, drizzling rain. Swinging his telescopic view, Jennings searched the landscape, finding nothing but headstones. And then something moved. A dark, blurred object, slowly coming into focus as Jennings racked his lens. It was an animal, a dog, large and black, its pointed face distinguished by narrow-set eyes and a lower jaw that protruded forward, exposing teeth, stark against midnight fur. Unseen by all others, it sat motionless, its attention fixed firmly ahead. As he packed his gear, Jennings felt satisfied, but somehow he was uneasy. At the top of a hill, he gazed back to see the coffin being lowered into the grave. 
The child and the dog were small in the distance, but their silent communion was plain. The following day brought a fresh onslaught of rain and the arrival of Mrs. Baylock. She was Irish and she was an outrage, pulling up to the front gates of Perriford and announcing herself as the new nanny. She bullied her way through, her boisterous manner at once intimidating and appealing. I know it's a difficult time for you, she announced to the thorns as she took off her coat in the vestibule. So I won't impose on your grief. But between you and me, anyone who hires such a skinny young thing for a nanny is just asking for trouble. The movements of her massive frame were so vigorous that they created a breeze, Thorn and Cathy watching dumbfounded, silenced by her certainty. Well now, where's the boy? I I'll show you, said Cathy, indicating the stairs. Why don't you just leave us alone at first? Let us get acquainted in our own way. He's a little shy with new people. Not with me, he won't be. I can assure you of that. I really think... Let me give it a try. And in a moment she was climbing the stairs, her massive bottom disappearing from view. In the sudden silence left in her wake, the thorns exchanged a glance, thorn nodding an uncertain approval. I like her, he said. I do too. Where did you find her? I... Didn't find her. I, I assumed you found her. And after a moment's pause, Thorn called up the stairs. A Mrs. Baylock. Yes? She was already on the second story landing, her face peering down from above. I'm sorry. Uh, we're a little confused. Why is that? Who called you? The agency. They saw in the papers you'd lost your first nanny, so they sent you another. It seemed a bit opportunistic, but knowing the fierce competition for employment in London, Thorne thought it made sense. Can I call to confirm that? asked Cathy. Go right ahead, replied the woman. The Thorns retired to the drawing room where Cathy called the agency and confirmed Mrs. Bailock's credentials. She was well qualified with high recommendations, the only confusion being that their file showed she was presently employed in Rome. It was likely, however, that her situation had changed without being entered in their files, and they would clear that up as soon as the agency manager, who no doubt sent her to the Thorns, returned from his four-week holiday. Cathy hung up the phone and gazed at her husband, and both shrugged. Rather pleased with what had transpired, Mrs. Baylock was an oddball, but full of life, and that, more than anything, was what they needed. Upstairs... Mrs. Baylock's smile had faded, and she gazed down through misted eyes at the child asleep in his bed. As the woman watched him, her chin began to tremble, as though she were standing before an object of incomparable beauty. The child heard her faltering breath, his eyes opening slowly to meet hers. He stiffened and sat upright. Fear not, little one, she whispered in a faltering voice. I am here to protect thee. In his cramped six-flight walk up in Chelsea, Haber Jennings was awake, gazing at the growing gallery of thorn portraits that adorned his darkroom wall. There were the funeral pictures, dark and moody, the close-up of the dog among the headstones, the close-up of the boy, and then there were the pictures of the birthday party,
Kathy watching the nanny, the nanny in clown costume alone. It was the latter photograph that most interested him, for above the nanny's head there was a kind of blemish, a photographic imperfection that somehow added to the potency of the scene. It was a fleck of faulty emulsion, a vague haze that hung over the nanny, forming a halo around her head and neck. Though normally a flawed photo would have been discarded, this one was worth keeping. The knowledge of what happened immediately after it was taken gave the blemish a symbolic quality, the shapeless form like a shadow of doom. The only shot he was missing was that of the ambassador himself, and Jennings hoped that tomorrow might be the day. There was to be a state wedding at the All Saints Church, which the Thorne family would likely attend. It wasn't Jennings' kind of setup, but he'd been lucky so far, and perhaps he would be lucky again. <laughs>